Thank you for listening to My Best Living Pod. We are currently accepting applications for advertisement and sponsorships. You can reach us at My Best Living Pod or My Best Living Pod at gmail.com. Thank you. Welcome to my Best Eleven podcast. Today we are joined by a freelance journalist who is an absolute loot and nut, loves the club, and is currently working for a number of different media outlets, including Talksport and The Guardian. You may have heard her on there. Whenever she gets a chance, she always gives a plug to the mighty Hatters. Here to talk about her time um, supporting the club, we are joined by Faye Carruthers. How are you, Faye? Really well, Andrew. Lovely to see you and brilliant to see you too, Marv. Thanks, Faye. I hope you're well. Very good. Very good. Excellent. So we're here to talk about Hatters. I'm just going to get straight in there. So what are your memories of Marv as a player oh. down at Kenny? No, but I probably retired, was I? No. Oh, my God, no. No, you were club I'm... captain when I first started going down. I mean, thank you for the compliment, but I'm ancient. So, you know... <laughs> You, uh, you were captain. Um, my first proper game. So I, I've, I've told people this loads of times. So apologies for repeating myself. But I wasn't allowed to go to Luton games when I was younger. My dad wouldn't let me um, because he used to go to Luton games when he was younger. And that was why I was not allowed to go. Um, you know, you can probably just fill in the gaps yourself there. Um, when I went to university, I was doing broadcast journalism at Nottingham Trent. And uh there was a sports show on our radio station that, that came about like twice a year. And I said, oh, I really want to get involved in this. And they said, well, do you think you'll be able to get um, to Luton Games and report on Luton Games for us? I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to. So I'd got in touch with the press office and they'd said, we can't fit you in the press box, but we can put you in the main stand. So I literally had this um, flip down um Motorola phone you know with like the antenna yeah. that kind of goes up like that and I did match reports from that so anyway I, I messaged my dad and I just said oh I'm um I say messaged I phoned him it was you know you had you didn't texts were there for emergencies only 160 <laughs> 160 characters only that's it yeah um <laughs> so I, I rang my dad and I said oh I'm coming home this weekend he's like oh brilliant um what for I said oh well, I'm going to going to the Luton game on Saturday you went, we've discussed this. You're not, no, you're not going. And I just had this like full on diva moment with like, dad, this is my career kind of thing. And he was, he was messaging me throughout the game to check I was okay. And I still had to like look back to like a, a little while ago to work out which game it was that I was at because I genuinely, I couldn't remember if it was Manchester City or Millwall. And it was Manchester City, uh, one all draw. And um, yeah, club captain Marv. At the time, 1998, that was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was um, that that was my first ever game. Um, although, obviously, when very infrequently we were ever on the television, um, I would watch and I'd kind of know what we were doing. And, you know, Match Magazine and things like that would be the way to kind of find out what, what was going on and, and chatting at school. But, re- you know, really, um, that was when my kind of love affair, if you like, started. Excellent, excellent. Look at Mars grin. He's he's, no, think, I, he's thinking of that game. He's thinking of that no, game. No, well, I wasn't. I was just I was just thinking like a lot of the times. Um, who who was your um, the pinup 
what do you mean when he was younger, the pinup boy for you? Like it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be a Luton player. It might be another um, player. Well, I, I mean, the Man United players were what everybody was talking about at school at the time. So Lee Sharp in particular. Yeah. I was a massive fan of Andre Konchelskis. I absolutely loved him. Um, Luton wise, Scott Oakes was the was the guy that everybody yeah. used to talk about at school. Um, uh, yeah, a couple of stories with that. <laughs> um, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it was um, that they were probably the the, the main ones. Um, Righty as well, who yeah. I, I'm been privileged to be able to work with uh, nowadays. Like my friend Lynn, absolutely loved Righty. She was a big Arsenal fan as well as Luton. Um, right, Luton. Her boys are season ticket holders now with her with her husband as well. So she goes down to to games. And actually, you know, that's what kind of drew my attention to Luton in the first place was was Lynn. Uh, because she um, she was a big Luton fan and I just kind of followed any football. It was any football that was on the television, I would watch it. Um, and then, as I say, I went to, to university because I hadn't been allowed to go. I had gone on the plastic pitch, by the way. I had sung carols right. on the plastic pitch back in back in the day in primary school. We so, had uh, the fun days they used to do down there, the fun days on June time, I think it used to be. No, we didn't. We just didn't. Like my mum and dad would watch the game because mum and dad used to go. They used to sit in the Oak Road end um, and my granddad would go as well. But he was originally a Brentford fan because he was from uh, Middlesex originally. Um, then my uncle is a massive Luton fan. He still has not forgiven my nan for throwing away all his Luton Town programmes when she uh, she moved. He had them all up in the in in the loft and uh, she threw them all away. Um, oh yeah, it didn't go down very well. And then so we've got a, a split in my family. So my um, um, there's me, my uncle, my cousin Graham, my cousin Neil are all massive Luton fans. I bring my dad now. I now bring my nephew, Jake, who absolutely loves it. I'll talk about him later. Um, and my little boy, Ted, who is seven months old, um, went to his first game against Nottingham Forest a few weeks ago. Oh, uh, okay. So he's a lucky charm then. Yeah, hopefully. But the other side of the family are Chelsea season ticket holders. So we had a, we had a lovely moment, actually, um, when we met them in the FA Cup. Um, we hired out the trophy room and we had dinner there and sat in the trophy room and like my whole family. Uh, it was, it was lovely, really lovely. Uh, not the result obviously, but we, <laughs> yeah. oh, we put up a decent stand. We put up a decent, st- we, we did all right. We did all right. But we're here to talk about your memories and your times as, as a Luton fan. Uh, and those people haven't listened to the podcast. What Faye's going to do is go through the best 11 players she's ever seen. Now, when we don't have players on and we have um, fans on, they quite often put a bit of a, a kind of caveat or some rules on it. So what rules have you have tried to abide by, Faye? So only players that I've watched. Um, so nothing before 1998, um, despite me having watched various YouTube videos and, and, and the like. And obviously, you know, Mick Harford just being a, a general legend. Um, yeah. But yeah, this, this is what I've tried to do. And my caveat is it's not necessarily the best team in terms of quality, um, because obviously it's from, you know, different eras of Luton Town from the conference up to up to now. So 
um, different standards. But I would say these are all players that have sparked an emotion in me in the past that I enjoyed watching that I remember talking about on the terraces. And, you know, that's 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 where I'm at with it. But the the additional caveat and well, I've got two additional caveats. <laughs> so first and foremost, my memory is shocking, shocking, shocking. I'll go to a game on a Saturday. Ask me what the score was on Sunday. I've really got to think about it. Really think about it. By next week, forgotten it completely because my brain is so full of stats, players, goals for my job that I just cannot retain certain things. The things I can retain tend to be feelings or emotions or something about the day that I've remembered, if that makes sense. Um, and then the other is that I listened to your fantastic podcast with Simon Pitts, who's brilliant. And um, obviously, Simon is just phenomenal in terms of stats. Watching, has been watching Luton for, for years, but we're, we're a similar age. So we've watched Luton from around the same era. And I know that his, his same caveat was that it was only players that he'd seen. So actually, when I initially went through it, lots of our players were the same. So I thought, OK, well, maybe I'll, I'll have a couple that are, that are the same. But I try, I've tried to change it because I know you only spoke to him in March. So, um, yeah. So that there you go. There's my however many caveats that is. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll start. Let's get going then. Formation. What formation have you gone for, Faye? Right. So again, I wanted to go for a three, four, one, two, three, four, three, just because it's working so well for, for Nathan at the moment. But because of the players I've chosen, I've had to go old school and go four four two. So you'll see what I mean when uh, when when you know, I, the, the midfield was what the problem was for me with that. Right. I was okay. So, so this is why I've decided to uh, to do this. Right. Okay. So we'll jump straight in. Goalkeepers. Okay. And you can give some honourable mentions if you yes. feel the need to, just in There's case you meet be. them in the future. There's going to be. Um, so the clue for this one, first one, he's trained with England before. Oof. Is that it, Faye? Come on. Come on. Yeah. We're not that good. At a Premier League club, but he never played for them. He had to drop into the lower leagues to get his chance. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess someone now. Um, oh, my gosh. I can't remember his name now. Um, Tyler. Mark Tyler. No. no. I think now, it, I've gone. Go no, you, you know. <laughs> I'm going to go Marlon. No, and do you know what? Did he play for Burnley? Marlon and Mark Tyler are my backups. Um, Again, I didn't go for Mark Tyler because uh, that's what Simon went for. Marlon Beresford, you know, for me was just absolutely fantastic. But I think this player deserves it. Um, He joined Luton when we were in League Two. Okay, this will be the one. If you don't get it from this, then I'm just cutting this call off. And I don't believe you're genuine Luton fans. Okay, Embo. No. He's just oh. signed a new contract. Is this what? He's just signed a new contract. What, James Shea? Yeah. Did he? I didn't know he trained with England. Yes, once. Once, wow. Wow. Oh, amazing, amazing. Uh, Why, James, what does he, what does he, you said about emotion. I mean, goalkeepers generally are there to do a job. They're not yep. poster boys on the whole. So what is it about James Shea then? I think he's been patient. I think when he yeah. helped us get promoted up to the championship and then obviously lost his place to Simon Sluger, that could knock any any other goalkeeper with an ego. 
and it didn't. He just mucked straight in, helped Sluga get to grips with um, the league. Obviously, we then needed him um, when Sluga had that period where everybody was like, oh, my God, we spent money on this guy. Are you kidding? Um, and actually, you know, that to me is the sign of somebody who appreciates their trade, wants to work hard to regain their place on, on merit, but doesn't try to, and I know it's a goalkeeper's union. Most goalkeepers are like- I was going to say that. Yeah, he, he had an opportunity to, to, to kind of sulk it off, bearing in mind what he'd done for us, and he didn't. Um, and, you know, he won the Golden Glove Award when we won League One. He obviously has um, that title winner's medal on top of that. I just think he's a really calming influence in the dressing room. And I feel as if, you know, this injury, I'm so gutted for him with this injury. It's so infuriating. Nine, nine months, isn't it now? Nine months. And then it, it yeah. kind of happened to him again with Jed Steer being brought in at the start of the of the season. You know, again, he's just not not seen as the as the natural number one and someone else has to has to And um, nine months means the club's gonna go out in the summer. They're gonna have to go out in the summer and buy something. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, precisely. Um, but I still feel as if he is the type of you know, they would not, bearing in mind how long that injury is going to be, they would not have rewarded him with another contract had they not thought he was somebody who's a great influence behind the scenes and is brilliant at what he does. Um, and although, like, it's really funny, isn't it, how stature of a goalkeeper, when you look at it, you, you look at James Shea in the goal and he seems much shorter than he actually is. He's six foot one. But for some reason, he doesn't feel as if he fills the goal as some other players do. Do you know what I mean? No, no. Uh, no. Tyler never seemed that tall. No, no. But um, and it, and it's weird because um, what's the what's the lad from Brighton who left Brighton to go to Arsenal? Uh, the Australian Ramsdale. Matt, oh, oh, the, no, the Australian Matt Ryan. Yeah, Matt Ryan. You know, he's obviously a, a shorter goalkeeper, and but but springy, and I feel as if um, James Shea is springy <clears> and. and He's dug us out of, of holes on so many occasions. For me, much as I kind of grew up with Luton in terms of Marlon Beresford and, and Mark Tyler, um, I, I do believe that, um, that James Shea is, is going to get it for me. Interesting. Yeah, great shout. I think, and like you said, unsung hero. Um, yeah. Even when Marek Stetch was in the club. He's still... Oh, I forgot about Marek. I really liked Marek, you know. I thought but, he was great. But, but yeah, Marek was in there, and I think Shay also had to bide his time a little bit when Marek was there. So they were kind yeah, of vying for first place so when we were going for Ak with Accrington and stuff like that. They had to go at it with each other. So, But we're going to move on to your defence right back. And you right. can't go, oh, you can't go JJ. Right oh, yeah, I've always been right back. Number two, JJ. traditional. Why can't, why can't you go JJ? Why? Why can't I go JJ? Okay, you can go JJ if you want to. Well, because because is he a left back or a right back? Well, this is the thing, right? So I have put uh, again. You oh, both. Are we just going to have asterisks next to absolutely everything? So I have put him on his favoured position as right back. It was a real toss up. I had Kev Foley in there, who I know you coached, Marv. Um, he he was in there. Jack Stacy. So I did Jack's. Um, first Premier League interview um, at Bournemouth and it was lovely he recognized me when I came and, and did the interview and we got a photograph afterwards which I never ever do uh -uh. in the tunnel because it's just so cringe yeah. but I was so like in, in a non-patronizing way I was so proud of him for what he's done and he's a really smart lad he's doing you know 
studies in the background as well, potentially going to go on and do fantastic things in, in the game, as well as, you know, he, he's got the foresight to kind of think right. about what he did next at such a young age. Um, very sensible head on his shoulders and just fantastic. And, you know, perhaps has been a bit limited in terms of injury and things with, uh, with Bournemouth, but hopefully get another opportunity uh, with Bournemouth being promoted now um, in the Premier League to, to show how awesome he is because he is. And without him and JJ, you know, that, that season was just absolutely incredible with both of them on the wings. But I've chosen for JJ to be on his favoured right just because he's constantly being played on the left now. Um, and, you know, he's so versatile. You could play him anywhere. I think yeah. the other day, he was almost playing as a striker. He was kind of driving into the box. It was it was really, really random, but he's got that pace and he's got that intelligence and he's going to play for England for, for sure in terms of the seniors. Gareth Southgate, um, I'm, I'm England correspondent for Talk Sport and Gareth Southgate said just before, um, just after his injury, I think he and Harvey Barnes got injured about the same time for, for Leicester. And they were both on the on the periphery and would have been brought up to to the squad by Gareth Southgate. Obviously, he's been uh, England under twenties, England under twenty ones as well. But he's so he's the type of person you need in a tournament in terms of versatility. Yeah. Um, but he's one of our own. And do you know what I've just realised? Go on. I didn't give you clues because you said don't go to JJ. <laughs> no. No, but it was. Do you know what? Do you know what? I, I think it was. It had to be them. I mean, you can go all the way back to Boise and people like that as well. But for Luton, I think it's it's a case of I know Boise kind of is as well. But really, because it is a little bit rare in the last say ten years that Luton have brought somebody through from their academy yep. as a kid, as a as a seven, eight, nine year old, and actually come all the way through. It's really rare at the moment. So one of my clues was going to be. He's been in a side that's beaten Bayern Munich. That was going to be one of my clues. Yeah. Oh, that's a good clue. That's a great because of course they went yes. over there and did that tournament, didn't they? Yeah, he was eleven in two thousand and nine, and you know I, I I talked to him on on social media, and you know he was brilliant when he when he came back from his um, injury. You know, really really took his time, and actually an injury like that, we've seen so many players over the years they just come back and they're just not the same. Um, but you know, it's happened to him young enough that hopefully he'll be able to come up, you know, and um, and we'll see that same form recaptured. And I, I'd love for him to have the opportunity to play in a European final if they do it tonight. Like when we're recording ahead of Leicester playing. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, the question for you then, Faye. Who? Yeah. I'll try to word this. Who's been the most difficult person you've interviewed? Difficult. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um. So. I've just had to interview David Moyes two weekends in a row when they've been beaten. That's not fun. <laughs> not fun. Um, he's very polite and very nice, but if they've lost, you know, he's got this stare. He's got these piercing blue eyes that, I, I, by the way, I love David Moyes, um, just as another caveat, um, because it, phenomenal manager. Yeah. Um, I, work, I work with Stuart Pierce for, for Talk Sport and Stu speaks so highly of what he's done. And to come back to West Ham and do what he's done at West Ham, you know, on the brink of a, of a European final, absolutely incredible. But in terms of when he's lost, um, if you, which I did a couple of weeks ago because I'm an idiot, if you make a 
statement as opposed to ask a question, he gives you this death stare that is, how do you want me to respond to that? That's <laughs> answered it yourself, essentially is what he's saying behind the eyes. Right. And you immediately think, oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say he's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few others, but let's stick with David. Right. Do you think all people are difficult just when they lose? Um, Pep Guardiola is the opposite. So Pep is difficult when he's won and he because he can be very obtuse. Um, luckily, never, never with me. He's been he's been fine. But other with other people, he can be really prickly. But partic- it, it's really strange. He's he's passive. He's the definition of passive aggressive, I would say. Mm. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, I wonder how he's been after we're recording this. I wonder how he's going to be after. I wonder if you say he's okay after losing. I wonder what he's going to be like after the Real Madrid game. But well, I think I think he was again very philosophical. I think you know it's going to take yeah. them ages to to dissect that. It was it was unbelievable. I, I actually was watching it on um, on delay and had gone to make myself a, a cup of tea um and then twitter went mad and i was like why what's going on so i was like fast forwarding i was like oh my god i was literally 10 minutes behind um so yeah bonkers bonkers but um you know again like huge respect for him incredible incredible manager um but it's not pleasant uh interviewing anybody after they've lost because it's a really i don't know how you felt about it marv and how you feel about it as a coach but Somebody sticking a microphone in your face when your emotions and your adrenaline having just walked off the pitch, particularly if you've not played brilliantly, it must be so difficult just to kind of be able to manage your emotions and respond properly. It is, but I mean, I've I've always tried to be honest. And so, I mean, you don't want to like say too much because like you said, your, your emotions are quite high and stuff. So being honest and trying to replay the game really quickly in your head or assess it in your head really quickly and speak opening about it. That is the most best way to be, I feel. Yeah. 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 Agree. Awesome. So we're going to go left back. So left back. I'm just, I've done it in the wrong order in my page. You've like. Sorry, I've thrown you. It's because I go, I go traditional. Number two and number three. That yeah. is tradi- it is traditional. Um, I'm a rebel. I've gone the other way. <laughs> I went centre backs first. Um, so I again could have had JJ. Um, I can see. Oh no! I've, I need to give you clues. See, I'm messing it up every time. I'm just answering. I need to away. host. Okay. I'll get the host going. Sorry. No, no, no. It's it's me. It's me. Right. Okay. Uh, clues. Uh, this player. Um, oh my god! It's so funny. I've actually written played on the left. Obviously. <laughs> as a clue right he started his career in swindon no no go on oh oh i I think i got it no no go on carry on no uh yeah yeah okay yeah Yeah. the the last clue is sadibi yes as all luton fans remember that tackle that came flying in and then we've heard the story of what happened in the train in the tunnel afterwards with was it the bar it was, it was in the bar, yeah. With Ricardo what Fuller, was it? wasn't it? Was it with Ricardo Fuller? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Go on, Marv, you keep going. Because I don't think, have you heard this? What's that? Faye hasn't heard it. You go, Marv. Oh, we're talking, well, about, I mean, Sol, I... we're talking about Sol Davis, by the way. Yes. No, Nico told the story. Um, I, was, I wasn't there. But, I mean, Nico told, Nico told a story. And um, it was a case where they both, did they both get sent off? Was they yeah, both they both got sent off, yeah. yeah. 
separate, separate incidents, yeah. Separate, yes. And so, I mean, Soul's, like, is totally different to off the field to what he is on the field. So, like, once he crosses the white line, it's like, he'll tack, like everyone says, I mean, the saying, he'll tackle your granny sort of thing. He literally would, would, would run for a brick wall. So, if it were really, really off the field, nicest lad you could ever meet. And so, I believe Soul is in the bar afterwards and he's walked in fuller and he's just like said, Hey, look, you know, all part soul's gone up to him to say, Hey, you know, it's all part of the game. Obviously the next thing is just all like fuller wasn't too happy. And it's kicked off and they're wrestling on the, on the floor in, in the bar at Stoke. Apparently. Wow. So, yeah. That's, that's incredible. Um, and by the way, my nan would have him for toast. Um, <laughs> Do you think that endeared him as a Luton fan? Do you think that type of oh, tackling? Yeah. And, and then loves that. I mean, that's why we love Nico, wasn't it? You know, exactly yeah. the same reason. Bang, straight in. Yeah. Every, every football fan loves a player that crosses the white line, as Marv says, and puts in every single effort, no matter what it is, even if it's... It's passion, you know, isn't it? It's, it's what they would do, I suppose. They're, look, they're looking at that player and they're thinking, well, that's it. Do you mean? I mean, they could, I mean they could be like having the worst game ever, but like they'd make a tackle or make a challenge like midway through the afternoon, and it, it used to sense it um, at the Kenny. It just raised the level of the, obviously the atmosphere for the supporters, and it would give the, the players a lift. Yeah, yeah. and he he was involved in one of the most kind of bizarre weeks that I've that I've kind of had in 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 football as a fan, um, because I think it, I can't remember if this is the right scoreline or not. I probably should have checked. I think we beat Leeds. Um, we five scored one. five, yeah, yeah, five one, eight leads, and then me and my cousin went to Goodison Park to watch the League Cup third round against Everton. Um, we lost four nil, and we were like, it was so depressed. It was so depressing coming back. I then again, one of the reasons I remember this is because I went the wrong way home on the M62, and my cousin like <laughs> rang me going, "You're going the wrong way. You you live you live." <laughs> South. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's there's many stories like that, by the way, which um, me and my other cousin. So that was with my cousin Graham, who lives up near Leeds. My other cousin Neil. We went to watch um, Luton play again. I think it was in the the League Cup play Aston Villa. Um, do you remember that? We lost that four 0 I think as well. Um, I had the tickets, and we literally came over. You know that flyover where you see Villa Park on the right hand side. Yeah. Yeah. We came over that and Neil just says to me, you have got the tickets, haven't you? Just triple checking. And the minute he said it, I just went, oh, my God, no, I don't. They're on an envelope on my bed. And he went, yeah, funny one. I went, no, I'm not, I'm not lying. <laughs> just like... <laughs> so I was then, so I, I then messaged my ex-boyfriend, used to, um, he's a massive Luton fan. He was on the coach with the fans on the way up. Uh, I was just like messaging people going, anyone got any spare tickets? This is what I've done. I'm such an idiot. Um, and then they actually made, um, they opened up the tickets and we ended up getting tickets and we got Villa tickets, but they said, when we said, look, we're Luton fans, but this is what I've done. They let us sit in the, in the away end. Um, oh, so was... we got really, we got really lucky, but yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't massively popular. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the idiocy, but going back to, going back to Sol Davis and that same week, of course, after the um, Everton game, was when um, Sol had a stroke on the coach on the Bus, way to yeah. Ipswich, which Ipswich. we then lost. Yeah. So we lost, 
we'd shipped nine goals in the space of a week and then solid had you know as a 27 year old you're like well what that doesn't that doesn't mm. make any sense and of course then that tackle with Sadibi was only a few months after that you know he's back on the playing pitch and everyone yeah. thought you know he'd never never play again so for me you know his kind of attitude um uh pushing against adversity and everything else Sol Davis for me is is on my team sheet Definitely. No, I like the logic behind that. Perfect. Perfect. No, Centre-backs. So, Marv, you were in there for me, but Simon <laughs> told you. So Simon put you in, and that is the only reason you're not in my team, because otherwise... You're so polite, Faye. You're so polite. It's, it's, it's genuine. I also, um, in fact, let me, give you, let me give you the clues first. I've done it again, haven't mm. I? Like I told you, my memory. What's that? <laughs> Like three minutes. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, first one. Let's go. Let's go this one first. Uh, Sunday League. Uh, yeah. Oh, go on, Andrew. I don't know if I should guess it because I feel bad Be for the listeners. I feel bad for the listeners. I feel like I should write it. I feel like I should write it in the chat yeah, thing yeah. so I can write yeah. it up. Go on. Right. Mersey, Merseyside. Yeah, it is who I thought it was. Volley. Yep. Fleetwood. Steve yeah. McNulty. Yes. Macca. What an absolute legend. And again, this is, you know, we're talking non-league, but that just that goal and chats I had with him afterwards when, you know, we, we were promoted from the conference finally. He was just brilliant. He was, yeah. you know, he kind of epitomised everything that was awesome about what we all thought was going to be a horrible time five years down in what was the Blue Square premiere. And actually, I think many fans absolutely loved it, as I did. You know, we didn't love that we were down there for five years and we were no. all relieved when we finally got promoted. However, going to all those grounds, meeting all those different fans, um, watching the football that we played, um, having those kind of players that that were putting themselves on the line week in, week out to get us back into the football league. I loved those five years, stressful yeah. as they were. It was it was fantastic. <laughs> and it, it, it just always reminds me of why I'm a Luton fan, because I, I remember I did a, an article uh, for the non-league paper that the first year that we went down and I got some pelters for it actually because I said I feel as if the Luton fans have got a bit of a Leeds United mentality in terms of you know Leeds for ages we're like we're a Premier League club it's like well you're not you're in the championship so you know and, until you're in the Premier League you're not a Premier League team um, <laughs> very basic um, you know that doesn't go down very well um, obviously um, and I, I said, I feel like we, you know, a lot of our fans just assumed that we would, would just, it. you know, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and it is not an easy league to get out of. There's one automatic spot, as we found. If you don't win it outright, the playoffs are a lottery. So, you know, it was um, it was a crazy few years. But Maka for me, kind of was just... Him and John awesome. still together, they seem to have oh. something yeah. between the two of them that worked. It clicked it was the right place, the right time, the right two players and two people that when we got relegated, the club would not have gone anywhere near. I don't think yeah. we wouldn't have gone anywhere near John Steele. And we had, and we, we came down with players like Kevin Gallon, those type of players. And we would never have gone near a Steve McNulty, but yet right. it took a John Steele and a Steve McNulty to be the ones that brought us back up. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Um, and I still remember, uh, so obviously that, that, that volley, I actually, I did a podcast recently with Theo Delaney talking about the goals of your life. And this goal was, was in it because the amount of people who aren't Luton fans, who, whenever they talk about Luton, um, they say plastic pitch, Kingsley <laughs> Black. Oh, and that Sunday league player with that amazing volley. Oh, and they also say Xabi Alonso. Halfway. I was going to say all the halfway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that volley caught that so high in the air and is like the most, un- I think he only ever scored two goals for us in total. The most unlikely player to score it. The most unlikely player to get his body in that kind of position <laughs> in, with the greatest respect. And it was such a cracking finish. It was awesome. He was a and baller, I, though. He was so he really good was. with the ball at his feet. He was comfortable. So yeah. good. So I think he used to, I vaguely remember, although again, you know, and I should have put another caveat in at the, at the beginning of this, that my 90s and noughties um, and into the 10s, actually, let's not lie about it, um, were, were kind of a drunken haze, which is why I don't always remember things that well. Um, and I had been drinking when uh, when I had this conversation with Macca, but I'm pretty sure he said he trained with um, Jamie Carragher when he was like in the Liverpool Academy when he was a kid, because he's from Merseyside, obviously. That's right. Like, Went went to Tranmere, um, and now he's uh, assistant manager, I think, of um, Chester. Um, oh, okay. So he's still knocking around the game, but we had a conversation in in the Britlayers' arms uh, after that. After we were promoted, Andre Gray was behind the bar pulling pints, um, and Macca was talking to to me and a few of my mates, and. He said, because uh, obviously the, the night we knew we were going up was another <laughs> another result against us, um, um, another result we weren't playing. So it was really surreal. And Maka was staying in um, the flat that he was staying at. Somebody knocked on his door at like 10.30 at night. And this Luton fan was just stood in front of him in tears going, I just want to say thank you so much for everything. It means so much. <laughs> Maka said it was just so surreal. He's like, how did you know I lived here? <laughs> it was really weird. Um, Stalker. Wow. Yeah, exactly. But he was just the most like down to earth, chilled, accessible, brilliant um, person. Yeah, I, I, I just I thought he deserved to be in my side. I think it was quite it's quite interesting and refreshing to hear you just speak about, I mean, have the players having the drink. That's a lot what I remember when I was playing. And I mean, I'm not sure how, if it still goes on or how long it will last. If Because I see like a, there's a gap now coming where players are being put on this a little bit like, I don't really want to, not that they don't want to talk to you, but they think, I mean, whether it's right or wrong, they, they don't associate them as, with the supporters. Like, well, I, I used to love it. I mean, a lot of us used to love it. We used to go out on a Saturday and, I mean, obviously, if you didn't have a good result, you wouldn't be like going out to to like rub people's face because obviously they spend their hard-earned money to go and watch the game. Even though I believe that we gave a hundred percent, it's still not the right way to go out and have a good time, shall we say, when you've had a defeat. But a lot of the time, when we have the good times, it was a case where back on the bus, you go out and it's like, hey, well done, and all this, and you interacted with the fans. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things which I probably, I mean, I didn't go to no, no other, other club to play at another club, but I was very happy to be at Luton. But that was the one thing I think which Luton had was like a family-orientated club where the players socially interacted with the, the supporters. I, I think social media has had a lot to do with that because I think mm. there's so many concerns by players that they'll get filmed doing something 
you know, you, you obviously can't have a drink. You know, anything happens on the pitch. Like one. Well, even the whole this, the whole cover. Yeah. Every time they they walk around, they cover their mouths, even if they're just on the benches everywhere. or anything. Yeah. Cameras everywhere, and there's people wanting for whatever reason. I mean, you know, whatever you want to do with your life, fine. But oh just my clickbait. God. They just want clickbait. It's clickbait. They want clickbait, and there's just uh, there's people love a pile on. You know, yeah. and we're talking about human beings and, you know, it, it really does annoy me when people use, yeah, but they get paid X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, but this is their job. It's not their fault they're getting paid what they're getting paid. That's the market that they're working at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, yes, you can, but th there are players at Luton and, you know, we'll, we'll get to players that I've got, you know, who do still mix with the fans, who do Great. chat, who will get their time. That, that is still, that is still... A, a thing and particularly with with the young kids as well you know my my nephew jake is um uh is autistic um he suffers um from you know socially socially difficult um right. and feels uncomfortable in crowds in particular social anxiety and that sort of thing yeah, yeah. Uh, and he literally will get like in front of um, the players and he's just enamored by them and he scream their names and so excited when they respond. Like he loved Kazenga Lualua. Kaz was his favorite player because he did somersaults and he's like, oh my God, he's amazing. First yeah. game I ever took him to was actually in lockdown and we were, we were privileged enough to kind of go as, as stewards. Um, and, I, and I took him and he was literally like, we were obviously behind the glass and he was, like knocking on the glass, cars, 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 <laughs> like trying to get his attention. And he gave him a thumbs up and a wave. And that was it. Like Jake was just, that's the best thing in the world. And I think there are a lot of players who know the power that they have over young children in, in particular. And that everybody, you know, it doesn't take two minutes just to wave. No, exactly. You know, again, I've got other stories later on that, that, that I'll tell you, which are, you know, basically, you know, there, there are players who are who are not, you know, of the kind of superstar arrogance. Well, that's yeah. great to hear. No, it is. So next to McNulty is. OK, uh, this person is a coach. Um, he's had two promotions with Luton Town. Yep. He's an under 21 international. Loved a set piece. Signed from Bradford. Was it Bradford? Or am I confusing? No, I think you might. Have. Who do you think it is? Sheehan. Alan Sheehan. Yeah, I don't think he came from Bradford, though, did he? Didn't he? Hang on. Let me have a look. Let me have oh. a look. I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, he did. No, on loan. On yeah, loan. Andrew Delvin. I'm off it. <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. That's 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 my fault. I didn't put Bradford. Oh, gosh. I've, I've been, I, mm, I didn't put Bradford. I put Leicester, Leeds, Knotts County, Swindon. Didn't put Bradford. Sorry. Bradford. So, anyway, but Alan Sheehan. Sheehan. Alan, Alan Mr. Sheehan. Sheehan, Mr. Set Piece himself. Yeah. Uh, Nathan's first signing in 2016, uh, 135 appearances. And now he's back, retired, and he's a first team coach. And I just think he's a consummate professional um and again you know both these players i've put in instead of you marv um you know you you were in then you were my number one i promise you um but in terms of captains he was an excellent captain um and the fact that he's now come back to us you know um and can influence that the, the team is is fantastic and he clearly has a really good relationship with 
Nathan and the, and the rest of the backroom staff. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come back, you know, because he's not as experienced as some of the people that that are on the backroom staff. But clearly, Nathan sees something in him that that he wants to harness and wants to, you know, bring to a club that he really liked and really um, respected. So, yeah, I don't necessarily have any particular because he's quite um, every time I've met him, he's been quite shy and reserved. So I don't necessarily have any, um, you know, exciting anecdotes about about him. I've interviewed him on stage before in the um, uh, kit sponsors dinner. Um, but I just every time I've met him, I've always been very impressed with um, his manner, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I agree. Totally agree with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause it here and we're going to have a short ad break. And then when we come back from the ad break, we will have Mars 60 seconds, quick fire 60 seconds, and we'll hear the rest of Fake Rubbers, my best 11. Welcome back to the second part of my best 11 pod. So far in phase team, we've got James Shea, James Justin, Sol Davis, Steve McNulty, and Alan Sheehan. We're going to hand straight over to Marv for Marv's quick fire 60 seconds. Over to you, Marv. Right, Faye. VAR or no VAR? VAR. Favourite other sport? Netball. Golden goal or penalty shootout? Penalty shootout. (laughs) Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Bundesliga, La Liga or Serie A for quality? Syria. If you could change one rule in the game, what would it be? That's a difficult one. That's, that's the, new handball or the new handball yeah, law. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Yeah, I like that one. Um, beer, wine or spirit? Wine. Fish and chips, pie and chips, pasta? Can't have any of them. Okay. Um, best player, top player you've seen live? Best player you've seen, ever seen live? Oh... Harry Kane. Hmm. One more, Marvin. Favourite holiday destination? Oh, we went to the Maldives once. I, I'd love to go there every single year until I'm not here anymore. <laughs> but I can't afford it. <laughs> so, VAR, you are a fan. Or was that a more better devil you know? Or mm. what's your thoughts on it? So, VAR itself is not to blame for the problems that we have with VAR it's the interpretation of VAR it's still human error um which you're never going to eradicate it I just think there are and there are stats Mike Riley has provided stats on the fact that there are fewer mistakes made since VAR has been introduced but I've been lucky enough to be at Stockley Park when they first introduced it and I've played on it in fact I was me and Stuart Pierce with the two with VAR and assistant VAR um you know it's 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 very complex what they have to do and they, they have an editor there and you know it's very quick the biggest problem I have with VAR not just the interpretation but a lot of that is is um is IFAB and the rules you know are a big are a big problem um the laws, sorry, I always get told off that. Um, but I, I think that VAR is a is a good thing for many reasons. Like the offside is offside now. Like I think that's really important. Yep. 
I just think in Stadia, the experience for fans has to be improved because fans are looking at their phones to find out what's going on rather than being told on the, you know, it's they're so slow. Even as a reporter, it's so hard. You're sitting there going. So I, I had the same incident, Aaron Ramsdale. I was at um, West Ham Arsenal um, the other day and Aaron Ramsdale came charging out on Jared Bowen. And, you know, if Jared Bowen had left his leg trailing, which, um, you know, was exactly what David Moyes said to me afterwards with his piercing blue eyes, um, <laughs> then, you know, uh, that he'd have had a Mike Dean would have had a better decision to, to have to make. Um, but VAR worked well because actually he made the right choice. He still shouldn't have booked him, but you can't overturn that because it's a yellow card. He shouldn't have been booked. But I didn't know what was going on. All I'd seen yeah. and everybody else in the stadium had seen Aaron Ramsdale appear to clatter Jared Bowen. And, you know, they, are, they do look behind the scenes. The reason they put up VAR check is when they're looking at it a few more times. They right. just don't tell you enough or tell you quick enough what's going on. You're looking at the referee to see if they've got their hand in their ear. You're then watching if the referee runs over to look at the monitor. Um, and I just feel as if there could be something, you know, I, I, and by the way, I don't know the answer to that yet. It's something that I think, you know, would take a, a, long, a long while and a lot of heads to sit down and think what's the best answer for it. But the experience for fans has to change, definitely. Yeah, and I, I find it ironic. It's especially in two of the biggest clubs in the countries. It's even worse because yeah. Old Trafford and Anfield don't even have big screens. No, nope. so they're just nope. announcing it over the tunnel. It's absolutely that's it. That I think is even worse. And that that could potentially happen if Luton were to go up to the Premier League. You know, we don't have big screens. We'd have to. There would be an enormous cost to to put them. Don't know where where you'd put them. We're not getting rid of Skefco. No, definitely not. Uh, Keith Keane tried to break before the digital clock came out. Do you remember Keith Keane? So he was nearly in my team. There you go. I've given you a hint for later. He was nearly in my team because I remember a game against Aldershot. And the reason I remember it is because my old producer at Talk Sport when I worked on The Breakfast Show was a massive Aldershot fan. So it was a big deal when we played them. We were like, oh, brilliant. So he sat, was sat in the Aldershot end. And Keith Keane whacked one over the side and broke the scoreboard and it was hanging down with the wood. And so someone had to come out with a stepladder to fix it. And the game was delayed for 10 minutes. My mate was messaging me going, what kind of shambolic ground is this? <laughs> it's an older shot fan, for God's sake. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about Keith Keane's corner from the Skeffo section yeah. against um, Oxford. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, no, I'd forgotten about that. Brilliant. Oh, that was a blind. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. We're gonna, we're gonna move. <laughs> we're gonna move on. So, not to mess up your notes, which order do you want to go in? Okay. So let's go. The way I've done it, and the reason. So I was gonna have. So just as a kind of caveat, I was gonna have wing backs and have Stacy and JJ as my wing backs and go three four three. Right. Um. But because I've picked two strikers, it didn't work with the midfielders that I want to put in so I've put so okay here we go uh let's go I'm not even going to tell you where in midfield and then you're going to have to guess <laughs> oh okay right oh, off you go with the clues let's see okay first first clue he signed from a premier league side Kevin Nichols nope uh he scored his first goal for Luton against Hereford he only missed 15 minutes of action in the title winning league one season he's an amazing auctioneer he only scores bangers and he's made over 300 appearances. 
Oh, no. Come on. No more clues than that. I get stuck on certain clues. That's my problem. What are you stuck on? Sign from a Premier League club. I'm trying to think. Yeah, and now I'm thinking, did I get that right? <laughs> no, I'm like, no, he did. He did. He 100% did. He 100% he did. did. Yeah. See, you know what the thing was oh, done? Right, okay. Okay. Go on, Andrew. Pelly. Pelly. Yeah. Sign from West Ham. Yeah, I just, that's why I was only cottoned on to it. Yeah, okay. Pelly. Mr. Pelly, Mr. Luton. And if we get promoted, the only player ever to have played for the same club in five tiers. Is that right? Is that what it's going to be if, if we go up? Yeah. Absolutely. What an absolute legend as well. And th- there's many reasons that Pelly's in my team. Um, I've been lucky enough to spend time with him. Um, for three seasons in a row, I, I hosted the end of season um uh, kit and sponsors dinner and one year in particular uh, I was doing the auction which is always quite difficult Nick Owen had come up and, and and helped me out a few times but everyone's had a drink there's always people at the back yeah. being leery and it's like <clears throat> oh god no one can hear you and I'm not really very school teachery and like will you be quiet so I was just like oh god anyway Jake Howes came up to me in the break uh, with a blazer and he went I've got another another um, item for you to auction I was like, oh, yeah, what's this? And he went, it's Pelly's blazer because he'd taken his blazer. I was like, does he know that you're auctioning it? And he went, no. And he, he'd, had a, he'd had a couple of drinks. I was like, oh, OK, then. So I put it up as an auction prize. And there was, everybody was a bit confused. There was no, like, takers to start with. So I got Pelly up on stage, uh, gave him a microphone. Don't give Pelly Panzo a microphone, seriously. Um, <laughs> he was fantastic. And he literally was on stage like, you! Yeah, you're bidding for it. Hundred pounds. Yes, <laughs> it was just like pointing at people, demanding money off them. It was amazing. So I've got, I got him up the following year to to do it as well. And he's just, yeah, what a character he is. What a stalwart for Luton Town. What an incredible career he's had and is having. Like, obviously, he's getting older now, so it's, it's tough for him in terms of injuries. And you know, I I feel as if. In some ways, I feel as if we've been lucky that he's been injured because it's perhaps meant that other teams haven't taken him from us Yeah. Um, in, in lots of ways. And I think he was one of the players that many people believed because of where he's been with us that perhaps would fall by the wayside when we were promoted up to the championship. And he didn't. Every league he's gone up to, he's got better and better and better. And I, I think he's just wonderful. Um, and so he was a no-brainer. He was one of the first people on my team sheet. Yeah, he's also the one that signed a new contract in the summer. I remember the big, there were lots of questions about, is he going to sign? Is he not going to sign? Obviously, he was just about to start getting caps for, I'm going to get the country wrong now, um, part of the African nations. Congo. 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 Yeah, so he's starting to get caps for them. And I know there was lots and lots of worry about, is he going to come back for pre-season? Is he going to sign for Luton? And it suddenly dawned on, I think, a lot of Luton fans, how important he is. Mm. Oh god, yeah, he's he's incredibly important, and you notice because he divides fans, doesn't he? Yeah, like, he I, does. I speak I to my, my dad. My dad's a season ticket holder down there, and he says it's literally chalk and cheese. It's like marmite. It, it's incredible how many people dislike him compared to how many people absolutely love him. I've, I never realised anybody disliked him. Um, I know. I think I, I find that hard to believe. No, no, is in not a person, but in terms they find him frustrating. I mean, I, I think every every single player has the benefit of you know, the the. the the potential, sorry, 
of being frustrating. But I think that that just shows what potential they have, doesn't it? Because oh, I, I'm a fan. You I'm know a what fan. they can do. Yeah, I'm yeah. a fan. I, definitely. I, I, I think I think he's wonderful. Um, and you know, part of obviously so many good things that have happened to this club over over the last eight years that he's been with us. That um, that yeah, he well deserves his spot. Definitely, definitely. So next to Pelly. Okay, uh, another player that came through the youth ranks. Jake House. No. Worthington Cup. Go on. Leeds yeah. United. Oh, yes. Matthew Spring. You've had him on your podcast. Yes, you've had him yes. on your Matthew podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly all the clues make sense when you put it like that. I know. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. That's, that's why they're clues, Andrew. Were you at, that's were, why, why you designed the podcast like this. <laughs> were you at that yeah. game then? Were you at the Worthington? Did you I get was. to go to the Worthington Cup game? The one that ever, did you go on the pitch? Or can we not I ask that? No, I did not go on the pitch. So I, um, this was such a, a weird game for so like so many reasons. I feel as if at this period in Luton's history, I spent a lot of time talking about how disgraceful some of our fans were. Um, and that night in particular was very difficult because a section of fans had gone on to the pitch um, and were waving the corner flag around and, and all sorts. And this is why when I speak to a lot of a lot of Luton fans, actually, more than more than perhaps you would think, um, no matter what happens this season, you know, obviously it looks as if Watford are going down. We could make the playoffs, you know, we could bypass each other equally, we could have to play each other in the championship. And I think most people are just like, oh God, I actually don't really want the M1 derby. <laughs> because yeah. it's just not a nice atmosphere, is it? Like, and it it's, you obviously want to do one over Watford, which we have, um, and which we did in this. But at the same time, it's just, you know... It, it boarding up statues of Graham Taylor. Boarding, yeah. what's, I mean, having to board up statues during lockdown. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, I, I just find... I, I, I just don't like it. And actually, I've, I've done a lot of work at, at Watford when I worked um, for the Premier League um, and when I worked uh, for Sky Sports and for... Um, final score for the BBC where I used to report on, on Watford games and everybody behind the scenes at Watford are lovely. They're, they're a really nice club to work for, um, to work, you know, to work at. Um, I'd still, don't get me wrong. I want to thrash them. I want to humiliate <laughs> them on the pitch, yeah. but you know, I'm not, I don't have a hatred for them at all. Um, and, but this was very sweet and it was so weird because I worked at Sky Sports at the time, Sky Sports News. And, um, I'd managed to wangle myself a car parking ticket because I was coming straight from work. So I'd got a car parking ticket, but it meant I had to then walk around through the, in the opposite direction and through all the Watford fans, hiding my Luton scarf in my pocket. Um, and I was meeting my best friend, Gary, and he was bringing his girlfriend. And I remember saying to him at the time, do you think this is a good idea? <laughs> I, I'm not like she's never been to a football match before, and you're bringing her to Watford Luton at Vicarage Road in the cup. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Anyway, they're now married with two children. Um, I'm godmother to their to their youngest. Um, but I, God, I, I, at the time, I just thought you're crazy. Anyway, um, I walked into the ground and the right. I didn't know what was going on at the time. Um, and I walked into the ground and I literally got flattened up against the wall through the turnstiles by the um, riot police that were coming in. 
and I, I met um, Gary and Kerry and they were like, oh, my God, this has been it's been kicking off. La, la, la. And Gary had messaged me saying, just be careful on your way in. And it was horrible. And then the atmosphere was really horrible. So then when you have Matthew Spring and again, this featured on my um, goals, best goals ever with, with, with Theo. Matthew Spring then scores this 35 yard screamer. It was just brilliant. And Steve Howard involved in it. And uh, it was just such a great, great goal. And then he ran the length of the field, perhaps inadvisedly to come and celebrate with the away <laughs> fans. Uh, not, not the greatest thing to do necessarily, but yeah, that was M Matthew Spring for me. Cause I then watched him when he, um, we went up to Ellen Road um, and I can't remember if he scored or not. I meant to look this up. I'm sorry, I, I completely forgot right. um, whether or not he scored against us at Ellen Road um, when he'd gone there. And of course, I, I did um and ah about whether or not I was going to put him in the side because he went, then went and played for Watford, which, you know, just discounts people as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, so, but I couldn't, I couldn't discount him because that's still one of the goals that I, that I remember vividly. Yes. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Great goal. Stunning. Stunning. So Pelly, Matty Spring, which means we're going to have to go wide. So we're going wide. First one, over 200 appearances, signed on a free transfer in 2001. Yep. Won the League One title in 0405. From Leighton Orient. Yes. And my last clue is Dubrovnik. Armut Berkovic. Armut Berkovic. Um, signed by Joe Kinnear in 2001. He, he played across the midfield, but he liked playing on, on the right. And that's where right. I kind of remember him playing. Uh, predominantly um, he was brilliant he got 15 goals in that promotion season in 2005 from midfield that's which is so impressive um, I, I just I remember going so I I told you my family lived um, so my uh, cousin lived up in Leeds and I lived up in Leeds for a couple of years and when I got back from traveling um, and so that year in particular, I used to go to quite a lot of away games because there were actually quite a lot of northern teams in the league then. And so I, I used to go to more away games than I did home games. Um, and 2005 went to the, it was then the John Smith Stadium. It might have been the McAlpine then, I can't remember. One of the two. Um, but Berkovic scored and we all just went mental. It was fantastic. We thought we had all three points and then Huddersfield scored a really late equaliser. And I remember the walk back to the... I remember being in a stonking mood because it was a good goal. I love Berkovic anyway. We'd been raving about him beforehand and then we conceded a really like sloppy goal afterwards. And it just put me in a foul mood. And I was in a foul mood all weekend after that. And I always remember that game. But you know, it was the only reason that I was in a decent mood before that. But yeah, I'm at, I'm at Berkovic for me. Brilliant. Fantastic. What's his which what's his best? I know you say you can't remember too many goals, but for Burko, there are to me, there are two that stand out as a Luton fan. Bicycle and kick. Bicycle oh. kick against Leicester. Yes. And the winner against Hull. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen that on YouTube recently, I think. Yeah, so the 88th yeah. minute, top corner um, yes. against Hull when we were both first and second in the top of League One. Yeah, yeah. If you can remember them, which one meant the most or which one was the... Cause... Well, the Hull, one, the Hull one was more important, wasn't it? In yeah. In the grand scheme of things. 
yeah so I, I i would always go for whatever is the most crucial because i think it's harder to score a quality goal when you've got pressure on you okay is that true mark reckon no i think i mean i think so remember I mean, your switch goal and scoring in that in that cup final yeah, I mean, well, sorry the the Ipswich game in the second leg second That's leg the- um, that was um more instant i mean again the, the the board come up. I mean, last. I mean, what was all? I mean, over two legs now, and you've got like extra time, and the last minute of extra time, 120 minutes of of football, and there's a case where Richard Wright, who I mean, been at Arsenal. I mean, a good goalkeeper, and, and Springer put, put the ball in, and literally, I don't know if he was he was just going with it for one hand to, to to get his hand on it to catch it, where maybe he should have punched it. It literally just fell onto my head and it was just a case of me thinking just get it on target and so and then that was it sort of thing yeah so the, I get goose pimples even now and obviously I still see it or talk about it it's, it's, it's quite crazy actually yeah I love I love that though the, the the fact that you can still remember the feeling that a goal gave you like that and mm. it's so funny how we're all kind of guilty of going through and it, it must be even uh, more interesting for you to do that because it's actually your thought process but you watch things and you um uh what what's the word i'm looking for um you separate the individual things out and uh, th- there's a word for it that's better i'm a journalist i, know. I, know that. I can't think of what the word is um oh god baby brain massively is a real thing um and you, you separate it out like that when actually it's only a split second there's no yeah. way on earth your brain would actually have gone through that entire pro- thought process no. stage by stage but when you watch it back, you think it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. No, you're right. Yeah. That, that, that's a poacher's instinct of this is bang. That, that's it. It's done. It's done. Mm. And then you look you look at it afterwards and go, actually, God, that was really important. I must have thought of the significant or I must have done this. But actually, no, if you're a good footballer and you love the team you're playing for, you're not even thinking about it. It's like I'm scoring. Bang. It's, it's just true. Cause like, I mean, Lenny, I mean, Lenny Lawrence was a manager at the time and there was a Another game where I think I had scored against Bolton in the last, and we ended up like tying one-one in the FA Cup. And then I remember that we go went back to Bolton. We ended up getting battered. We lost six. But like, again, it was all like Ian Fuhrer was a goalkeeper had come up at the last minute, and literally he had caused a little bit of pandemonium in the box. And I had to like manoeuvre my feet quite quickly onto my right foot to move them. And it's like you're saying when I look back at the goal, I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, even though I was a professional and you expected to do these things, but to manoeuvre the ball around the goalkeeper quickly, it was just, I just did it simultaneously sort of thing without even thinking about it. And like you said, it's... it's Do you think sometimes, because I'm fascinated as to how former players kind of think when they look back on goals, like particularly like important goals like that, do you ever sit back and go, God, I can't believe that was me. Like, I can't believe, like, do you ever have like a surreal out of body moment with it? So, well, the, the, the one for me, Faye, was when we um, I scored against Tranmere when we went to Tranmere and they'd not been beaten. And I mean, again, like you said, all the facts come into your head afterwards that they'd never been. I think this is in the January, February time of now of the turn of the year, coming towards the end of the season. They'd not been beaten at home all season, and we went up there and we. Uh, played Leicester the week before. Philip Gray and I had scored against Leicester at home and then like went to Tranmere away and um, Philip had scored the first goal and then in the second half, 
Kerry Hughes was on the left and we were like, and I was playing left back. And literally we both closed down this, the one of the Tranmere players and I had like nicked the ball off him and literally started dribbling towards the goal and nutmeg. And I knew from the corner of my as a defender coming across, nutmegged him, gone through his legs and bent it with my so-called wrong foot, my right foot, because I'm left footed into the top corner. That was a moment where I thought, wow. I mean, if, I mean, literally if, if I don't know, again, if I'd scored that goal in today, I'd probably be worth 25 million. As a yes, defender, I mean. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> no, but it was it it was one of those ones where again, like wow, that was a pretty good goal. I, I mean, that was a pretty decent goal. It's so funny because especially back when you were playing, there were less. You know, nowadays players, uh, the minute they've scored, it's already a gif or you know out on Sky Sports for for people to watch straight away. Whereas it that is actually quite rare to watch your old goals back straight away it would take the analysts a while to kind of maybe get them some some games won't have been filmed yeah it it must be like such a different experience to what the players have now oh much i mean so much different i mean uh, john moore was the the assistant manager at the time and then and he was very like scottish very serious and very like um like direct with what he said and even and I, and I know he was giving me a pat on the back obviously when, when he was talking about it but it, it didn't seem that way because obviously the Scottish don't have it but if that was like scored by a Brazilian then that'd be like replayed time and time and time again he said and then he was going well done and then walked off sort of thing <laughs> brilliant brilliant excellent excellent so we're going to keep going and we're going to move across to left midfield left wing Okay, I had a couple of options here. Oh, and and by the way, an honorary mention to another in a second uh, too. But this player helped us to win Division 3. He only made 34 appearances. (laughs) Have you gone with your, as I say, have you gone with your head or your heart? My heart, all the way, Jean-Louis Valois. I just used to love singing his name on the terraces and... We loved his shock of dark hair and the way he flew down the wing. And some days he'd play and some days he wouldn't. And as soon like... as as soon as the clocks changed, basically between in British winter time, he never played a game, did he, Marv? <laughs> he, 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 he was selective. Let's, let's just say. I mean, <laughs> as soon as the clocks changed. So I'm I'm intrigued, Marv, because obviously Jean-Louis is somebody who kind of goes down in folklore in lots of for, for lots of Luton fans. But when you actually look at his legacy, it's not that great. I mean, six goals, 34 appearances. It's a, it's a decent stat return, if you like. But what was what was he actually like to play with? Like for me, and this is going to sound really a little bit um, ignorant, but I was like, oh, he's great. Like, we've got an exotic player playing for us. We've got a Frenchman. This is exciting. I, re- I remember when he um, he turned up in training. With, like, literally, it was a case where, like he said, long flowing, dark hair and stuff. And it was like a case where the balls, like, got drilled out to him. And, like, we used to play a lot of, like, different five sides. And it was like, touch, great touch, dribble, left foot, in and out, someone, bang. And we were like, oh, my gosh. It's like, literally at the time, I'm not sure if it's the same era, but maybe a little bit later, we're thinking, we got David Ginola. It was like, yeah. literally, oh my thought. God. And we, and we thought, it was like consistently for about a week, 
And we was thinking, oh my gosh, Gaffer's got to sign him. They have to, they have to sign him. And then we sign him. And then, I mean, his debut. Who was that against? Now the debut, the goal. Talkie, talkie. Talkie, talkie that's it. That goal, brilliant. The unbelievable like debut I've ever ever seen anyone's ever had. Basically, to score those. I mean, that goal um, against Torquay. But he was a really like like a, a good lad. I mean. It was as Nico. Nico put it better. Like he said, his his French. I mean, his English was was good, but like it went to French when he didn't understand. Well, he said he didn't understand some of the things when you used to give him a little bit of a, um, a bollocking and stuff. What was Mick like with him? Was Mick frustrated and joking here? Were they no, frustrated with I mean, him, or did they just they accepted no, I, that's him? I mean, again, I, I mean, it was. I mean, I'm, I mean, I said I was getting on and obviously, so it was a case where he had. Um, Matty Taylor at left back and John Louis at left midfield and I was like on sub and so like when things were maybe getting a little bit difficult or John Louis wasn't having a great game it'd be a case where I could come on at left back and then now they could shove Matthew Taylor up into left midfield to do to, to maybe push him more forward to create some opportunities for Stevie Howard at the front so it was they they knew what they had and Joe was obviously like a very good manager very um assertive in what he wanted and so if it was a case he was on look Jono he's called me Jono Jono get warmed up John Louis is not having it today he's not he's not doing it go on Jono get warmed up and so yeah they they knew but he was a very very like I said talented player yeah he he, he was it, it was a he was a fan fan favorite so I'm glad to hear he was he was all right behind the scenes as well there's nothing worse is there They're like uh, as as a as a player, when people go, yeah. oh yeah, that player was brilliant. He's the, he's in my best eleven. You're like, he was an absolute twat. I'm sure. I'm sure Miles heard a few names come up that you've thought that of Marvin. You don't not mention, What's that? but sure, there's no, a few no, people no. you've heard go. Do, You're a I do, I, that there person. Is one, there is another story with John Louis actually, where we went. I can't think what game it was. We went. We cut back and we went out, and it was a case where. I don't know what happened, why it was, but there was myself, Nico, John Louis, a load of us out. And then it, it got into a, a lot of trouble afterwards where there's a, like a, a fracker of some sort. And no, no one was called. The police wasn't called or anything like that. But we've gone, we've now gone home or whatever. And then the next day, I think, or two days later, Cherry Newbury, who was the secretary at the time, she, um, called me and Nico into the office and said, was, was, like, was there um, a problem? Did you go out the weekend? And we said, yeah. Because, I mean, there was a, p- a few, maybe, I don't know, lads who were trying to cause problems. She goes, well, we've got um, the nightclub. What nightclub was it? In? It was Liquid in Liquid. Chicago. Liquid, oh that's God. it. Liquid. It was li- I, remember, I remember hearing about this. Yeah. It used to be and so the lit- zone before it was Liquid. Really? And yeah. so literally they had the, the CCT camera and you had like, you know, the stuff where you're like the ropes where they have the little bolt. John Louis got one of them in his hand on camera and waving it around trying to hit someone. Oh. They said, I'm thinking, oh, my God. But he was like, I think it was more from fear because obviously, again, being French, he, they were pretty laid back. And I don't think he realized, I mean, being out with like, Awesome. Again, we, we we never were looking for trouble, but I think something must have happened. And then, like she said, "Oh, this is this is this has gone on, gone on." And what can you tell me about it? And so we told her the story. Said, "Listen, some lads were just trying it on, and as you do as a group of players, you stick together, and that's all it was." Yeah. Wow. But yeah, but it was funny. Like she said, "John Louis." 
can't go anywhere and like just enjoy yourself without people. No. And that's and, no. and, and this goes back to the point we were making earlier, isn't it? Why why perhaps there is now a, yeah. a separation between fans and players because players just want to protect themselves and there's so much more involved in terms of sponsorship deals, contracts and and other things that they that they need to protect that you know exactly. getting, in, getting in trouble. It probably doesn't help when Nico's probably set a firework off inside liquid or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by, and by the way, big honorary mentions. Stuart Douglas was very unlucky not to get. I, I loved right. watching him play. Matty Taylor as well. Absolutely loved him. You just mentioned him there, Marv. And of course, Nico. But again, Simon Pitts. Yes, but he Nico did. Yeah. But, you know, he's uh, Nico, just wonderful. Yeah. Another, another player who just epitomizes Luton and in fact I do remember my dad we went to Milton Keynes shopping and my dad went that's Kevin Nichols isn't it and I went yeah it is but don't point at him <laughs> I just remember being like don't point at him <laughs> excellent so we'll move on to strike force who is up front Right. Well, I mean, you're, you're guessing my era anyway, aren't you? Um, so I don't even I don't even think I need to really give you any clues. One of Luton Town's greatest ever strikers around this same era uh, played for Luton between 2001 and 2006. Yeah, he knows. Marv knows straight I away. I think they know. I mean, Go on. Andrew. I've written him down did already. Play, did he play for Leicester? Yeah. Yes. Was he sold for a ridiculously huh? small amount of money? Yes. <laughs> was it fifty? Was it fifty thousand? No, we bought him for fifty grand. We sold oh, him from. Was he one? Was he one and a half or one? Nico was one, and I think he was one, and a, half. one and a half. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but he, and particularly the the League One winning <sighs> season in 0405, where I went to so many games. Um, Oh, I just, you know, you, you, you go into Kenilworth Road now and his picture is adorned everywhere because he was just wonderful. Little bit of a Shearer-esque celebration when he used to run off. Just oh, nails, nails. Newcastle fan. Um, yeah, Mr. Luton Town, Stephen yeah. Howard. But what I love about Howie is we say oh, Mr. Luton Town. Derby County fans say Mr. Derby County. Leicester <laughs> fans say Mr. Leicester. It's at, but that is, that's him though. But that's a testament to him as a him. person. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, the, I've, I've got it in front of me in terms of, you know, our, our top scorer, 0203, 0304, 0405, 0506. Yeah. You know, and just brilliant. Um, he was He was wonderful and obviously... The, the the season I think he left in two thousand and six didn't he and we we were relegated um, from the championship but yeah uh, f- for me I, I can't even remember all his all all his goals um, I just remember if his name's on the sc- on the team sheet he's likely to be on the score sheet and yeah. that's what you want from your striker isn't it Oh definitely and and someone who could look after himself I mean I mean Mick Mick helped him a lot. As well, I mean, I used to give him stick because um, when I did on the podcast, I think when um, we signed him, it was like um, he was Northampton's top goal scorer. But I think he was nine goals. He didn't get. He wasn't like a prolific goal scorer. But again, it just showed what's obviously Mick and Joe saw in him. They 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 knew he had a presence, but they also added goals to his game and added confidence. And 
he doesn't like talking about the York game. So um, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was one of the most famous. I wasn't going to mention that because actually I, 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 I'm gutted for him that whenever people talk about Steve Howard's Luton career, that they bring that up when actually, right. you know, it was, yes, it was a horrible situation. And I remember what all me and my family talked about at the time <laughs> at the time however i don't define him by that one incident it was you know momentary but, but Vale, the the reason i mentioned it as players as colleagues it was no big deal it wasn't like a big i mean for, for us it was like he hadn't scored he wants it he doesn't stay better we were fine about it i mean a lot of the press or the outside people outside our club probably made more of it because like there's a case where, yeah, he was just he was just passionate. He just wanted to score. And in the, the day, that that was just how it was. And it was a case of maybe within the next few days, it was forgotten about. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I just think, yeah, he's he's quality. This is going to I'm going to sound really fan like pathetic when I say this out loud. He follows me on Twitter. I'm like, he <laughs> follows me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, I'm such a loser. Uh, but I love it. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, and as I say, I went so many games then, and, and particularly that period between 2000, well, 98, 99, 99 to 2001, which was my three years at uni, I, I watched so much of Luton. And me and my, me and my mate used to go £8 a ticket for a student ticket. So I'd come home on a weekend and, and pay £8 and come and watch Luton and then obviously do reports and stuff at, at the same time. And... And then 01 to, to, to 06 was when, you know, I, I went away for a little bit of time. I went away, would you believe, when bloody John Gurney came and tried to ruin oh, us. Gosh. Oh, gosh. I was gosh. in Australia. When we went on that big march, I was in Australia and I was writing, I was in a, a, an internet cafe in a um, really dodgy backpackers hostel trying to get the connection to make sure that my name went on the petition. And I'm like, he's... <laughs> Buy me off. <laughs> I don't want a stupid Grand Prix track. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Some of the stuff that come are like you you're sitting there now and it's terrifying, really. My mum, my mum actually was reminding me because Claude Nakpa, by the way, very nearly made it into right. my side. And Colin Pitts took him. But I was talking to my mum. I said I told my mum I was doing this podcast. She was really excited about it. And um and I said, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned all, all of my family basically went to Wembley for the um, Johnson's Paint Trophy final. Um, and we had Club Wembley seats that I'd organised because my granddad didn't walk particularly well. I wanted to make sure he was comfortable. It wasn't going to be like, you know, loads of fans jumping on him and stuff. Um, and we all went. And I thought, so again, this is where my memory is so sketchy. I still have like, you know, goosebumps thinking about it. Do you remember they had those great big like um, balloons that had yeah. the club on them, like rotating? I just remember looking at that uh, crest coming round and thinking, my club might not be here. Like this time next year, this club might not exist. Mm. That's that's how like close it was, wasn't it? Mm. And mm. um, and I just remember feeling really sick about it. And my mum and, and I got really emotional. Stood, but I thought that was before the game. And my mum said, no, 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 it wasn't. You literally, after all the celebrations, you took yourself off when all the players were coming around celebrating. You took yourself off to the front to get away from everybody because you had tears streaming down your face and you were sobbing. I was like, oh, God, I'd clearly had a couple of glasses of wine. Additionally. 
surprise um but yeah and I was like I, I thought that that was at the beginning of the game but it wasn't it was afterwards when I should be celebrating but you know that's that's when you look back at our history which which is why I think and I'm sure like every single club has this because every club has been through some form of of adversity at some time or another but the amount that Luton Town have been through and the fact that you know, you can sit and have podcasts like this, the podcast that I've done with Dan before, the conversations that you have with people who you meet and you're like, oh my God, you're a Luton fan as well, blah, blah, blah. And what everybody knows, it, neutral fans have got an affinity with, with, with Luton because of what we, we've been through. And you think how bonkers, bonkers our history is. <laughs> and it's getting even more bonkers. We're on the verge of potentially being in playoffs to get into the Premier League. And you're like... This could only be Luton. At the same right. time, this is not me being a pessimist, by the way, because I'm an optimist. But somebody said to me the other day, oh, you, do, you don't need to worry. You're in the playoffs anyway. I went, 30 odd years I've supported this club. We're not in the playoffs yet. We've got two games left. Yeah. Like, do, this is not done and dusted. It's not comfortable. And then, of course, we ship seven against Fulham. And I'm sitting there going, oh, only Luton does this stress. Yes. I've written in the programme notes for Reading. Um, and I know this podcast will go out before this. This is a bit out of time. But the fact that the lowest we can finish is eighth in the league is amazing. I know. Yeah. We have progressed. Do you remember two seasons ago against Blackburn when we needed to win yeah. stay in the league and other results go our way as well? And it was 3-2. And Christian Walton was in goal for... That's why he's not my bloody goalie. He was in goal for Blackburn and he was like... Argh! Really up for it. We nearly signed him on emergency loan. I'm like, no, I was so cross with him in that game. Like, just help us out, please, man. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's it's progression, massive progression. Yeah. Oh. Even though we might feel if we don't make the playoffs, we might feel as if you know it's it's been a failure. No way has this season been no. a failure. What happens? No. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Since anyway, Nathan came in, we haven't gone backwards. God no. And I'll just get off my soapbox now because, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Howie, next to Howie is to finish off your okay. 11. To finish off my 11, this man is a club's top goal scorer two seasons in a row, written off by many, six years with us, fan favourite. So it's not Andre Gray then? Not Andre Gray. <laughs> no. I told you that Matthew Spring gets an honorary mention and is in my team because of that goal. I'm afraid 30 goals or not, Andre Gray cannot be in my team. After the way you acted after Colin scored that goal, nah. Sorry, mate. Indeed. Indeed. Um, When Marv was talking earlier on about the connect between players and um, and fans, um, this man was seen at Burton train station after we'd played Burton at at the Pirelli on his crutches, having been to watch the, 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 the game, um, coming down the stairs on his crutches, having autographs with fans, taking photos with fans. And he scored this season against Derby to get us in the playoff spots in the first place. I can't think of his name. Andrew, you, I mean... Marvin, Marvin, Marvin. Oh, my God, Marv. Marvin, Marvin, Marvin. Um, he basically looks... He, 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 he walks, if it's who I think it is, he walks on the pitch... And the referee brandishes a yellow card. <laughs> yeah. As soon or, as you walk, he's like Clinton's. <laughs> yeah, he's like Clint. The guy's got more cards than Clinton's as a Luton player. <laughs> but but his, the prefix to his name is super. It is. 
I'm over. I went, I'm my mind's blank. I'm overthinking. Well, do Dan, you know what, Mark? Danny Hilton. He's not going to talk to you. That's he, it. He's not, he's, he's not going to come and have selfies with you. <laughs> that's who I was thinking. I couldn't think of his name. I couldn't think, I just couldn't get his name. That happens to me all the all the time, all the time. But yes, yeah, super Danny Hilton for me. Um, you know, he's been with us for six years, ups yeah. and downs yeah. and rounds and rounds. And, uh, you know, he's just brilliant. And he was one of the first players that, um, that was signed by Nathan Jones as well. A lot of people were a bit like, oh, OK. Well, he dropped down a tier, wasn't he? Wasn't yeah. Was he at Oxford, and they were a, a tier above us? I think. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, it, you know, Nathan has described him as a championship player playing in League Two, which at the time, you know, it, maybe not. You've got a grimace on your face for that. Maybe not. Now, now, yeah. At the time, yeah. The time. Um, but you know, he. He is just amazing. He's had so many injuries, but he's yeah. just a really like decent, down to earth guy. And um, you talk about memories, and I mentioned my nephew Jake. So when we took we took Jake to the Barnsley game, and he didn't want to. We were in an, an exec box, um, and it was too overwhelming for him. He didn't want to be with, with all the all the people. And I was always. So Gary's always been very kind. And when we, t- we took him to Chelsea, offered me his office for Jake to go into if he, if he needed to. So he just needs to be, you know, away from it sometimes. Um, but he just wanted to watch the warm-up. And he just went straight out and he went, Auntie Faye, I want to go and watch the warm-up. So we literally, like, said hello, cursory hello to everybody in the box who'd invited us, which is lovely. And I just went, we've just got to go outside, I'm sorry. And he literally was screaming every player's name. And then during the game, uh, Danny Hilton came and was, and was warming up. And he was going... Danny, 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 Danny Hilton, Danny Hilton, like over and over again. And my cousin just like went, it's super Danny Hilton. Super Danny Hilton at the top of his voice. Danny just looked up, gave him a big thumbs up and a wave. And that was it. He was set then, uh, Jake. He was set. And after the Chelsea game, Danny was there with his three kids and I was chatting to him afterwards and Jake came over and I said Jake you, you know who this is and he went Danny Hilton and you're right mate and he just said how did you enjoy the game da, 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 da. and had and honestly his face that somebody who he'd seen playing on the pitch and you know kids idolize players on, on the pitch was talking to him like taking time to talk to him he was just beside himself with it and he had a little little photograph with him and everything and it was it was it was lovely and I'll I'll never forget that um and you know you know I know he's had his ups and downs throughout throughout his career um I feel as if he's matured he's 33 now he's got young kids um and what he's done for for Luton Town I think lots of us are very grateful so Danny Hilton is up front with Steve Howard what a combo it's a great combo. Yes, lots of goals, lots of arguing with the refs. Yeah. <laughs> with those two, I definitely think it. Why do you think Danny, and obviously Marv as a player and Yufei as, as somebody who interviews a lot of people, um, and particularly players, do you think that players get a rep with refs? Or is that, and do you think that literally the word gets around, even as you go up the tiers and, and even Danny doesn't play as much? But you still think he has that rep where, as much as I joked a minute ago about getting cards all the time, 
is there some truth in that? And that's kind of the both of you, really. Maybe less so in the championship for, for Danny. But, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, referees know tricks. They know when a player is a notorious diver. You know, J- Jack Grealish had it for, for quite a long time when mm. actually he, I used to get quite, quite cross on, on Jack's behalf because my argument is if you're running at that kind of pace yeah. and someone <clears throat> tackles you, even if you anticipate it, yeah. And so there might not be contact or minimal contact is going to bring you down, but you're anti- like Jared Bowen anticipating the, the, the Ramsdale charging out at him the other day. You're, you don't want to get injured. So no. it's not diving. He probably, he probably is one of the most players fouled in the Premiership, was he? Grealish, okay. you know, yeah. no doubt. And the, who's, again, my mind's gone blank. I should know, the one who was at Palace, like, it's Wilfred no, Zaha. Wilfred Zaha, that's it. He, yeah. another one who, like, was feels aggrieved that a lot of the time he went through this phase where he felt he was fouled and then referees, like you say, probably like, mm, he's dived or, you know, because they get this rep sort of thing. Well, I accept the diving one, but the booking one is an interesting one, as in descent and that type of thing, that some players seem to be, give, like, as a Luton fan, I look at Alan Campbell, and the games recently I've been watching, even from over here, you see Alan Campbell does lots of tackles, never gets oh, yeah. booked. Ne- but he never gets booked. Love it. But as soon as Hilton breathes on someone, it's a yellow card. That's what I find but, quite interesting. Do you know what it, what it is? There's a, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, there's a clumsiness to Danny when he's on the pitch that perhaps makes... You know, and you don't know when he gets booked for descent. You don't know what he said. Oh, one, and, yeah. And and there's and there's some referees who are perhaps more lenient with you know the odd um, cursory word, and others who will have none of it no matter what. Um, but but certainly in terms of the tackling, I would say because he's got a lower centre of gravity as well. Um, Campbell, he's more graceful when he makes the tackle. You can see what he's going to do. Whereas how many times have we seen Danny kind of just like clatter into someone and yeah. you're like, you were never going to get that. Like it's right. I, I, I think that's, that might have something to do with it. And that one, I feel that as a player, you, you might have a better chance of getting away with being clumsy where, whereas a referee, I think is, you, you mean you're in control of your mouth, what you say I mean, that's, that's, that's on you. So the descent yeah. one, I would always be like, if I, I mean, I'd be heavy on that finding players because that's in your control. Now, yeah. a foul or a tackle, you get sent off, unless it's like something really malicious, then you've probably got a chance of getting a, a way of not getting a fine with me. But to send is like 100%, you're getting done because that's in your control. You know, keep it yeah, shut. That's, inter- that's interesting you say that, Marv, because actually, you know, I've been on the, I've been on the terraces before and, and been in, you know, my various loot and WhatsApp groups and my family, our Tipsies group in particular, and the amount of time, you know, we've we've lost games because Danny's got sent off um, or done something stupid um, or been on a yellow, therefore has to be careful the rest of the game. Um, unfortunately, it's been a few times. But as I say, like my best 11 was never necessarily the best Luton Town players ever, although I do believe Danny, Danny is up there 100%. Oh. Um, I, I, there, there's more to it with that. And I think, you know, uh, he is somebody who is very much will mix with fans and and chat and be you know he's he's yeah I, I and I think that I think that's important and he's someone else who's been a really great servant for the for the club definitely definitely so that's your 11 that is your best 11 Marvin over to you 
So which manager is going to lead this 11 then, babe? Or is it you? It could be you. <laughs> oh, God, I'd be the worst manager ever. It'd be awful. Um, I, listen, I have, I've been really struggling. So it's between, well, it's kind of between four. So for me, Joe Kinnear was in charge when we had like our, like when I used to go all the time and my, you know, uh, love affair with Luton happened um, or started, if you like. Um, and I just remember being so cross, so cross when they got rid of him and Mick the way they did. Um, and I just loved singing, Hey Baby, Big Fat Joe's going to take us up because we didn't. Um, Forgot about that song. Oh, God, I haven't. Loved it. Such an <laughs> 01 song, that song. So ho- horse singing it. Um, then I kind of look at the wonder who is John Still in terms of the man, what he did, like, again, like proper man of the people type person, him and Terry were just like such a fantastic duo, loved them, loved them being at the club. No one wanted them to leave, but we knew that we had to, and it was classy the way that was done so they could end up going back Mm. to Dagenham. So I love John. And then Nathan for me, like, one of the all-time greatest Luton managers. Um, feel privileged that I can call him a friend. And him coming back, I was, I was, I talked to him quite a bit when he left um, for Stoke originally. And to have him back and that be made possible um, was brilliant. But I think the man that made that possible, um, and the man that has been with this club through thick and thin, and and taken the reins when he's not wanted to take the reins. And you know where this is going, don't you? Um, And quietly goes about his business in the only way Mick Harford can do. It is the irrepressible one and only Mick Harford who manages this team for me. No one will ever, in my eyes, surpass what he's done for us throughout good times and bad times. No, I agree. Totally agree. I mean, I mean, very blessed and very honoured to have shared a field with um, Mick. Um, I feel that way. I mean, especially when things got a little bit heated as well. So <laughs> it was great to have someone of of his stature, his managed on 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 your team. So yeah, I couldn't 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 disagree with you there, Faye. Great choice. Yes, Thank you. and even though he's he says it was one of the biggest embarrassments and disappointments was when we got relegated. The fans don't think that, but where he, yeah. he wore that on his shoulders. But he's actually won two major trophies for the club. Yeah. So winning Johnson's paint and and the, and the league one goes down as him because he was there. Yeah, yeah. for And he wasn't even there for two games. He was there for half a season. Yeah, yeah. So he actually has got, he's he's got to be up there with decorated as definitely up there with quite a few of the other managers, I would have thought. I, I remember interviewing him on stage about when um, when we went down, and he was he's so gutted about it, and it's like and I'm saying it on stage, and everyone's clapping him in the in the room, and he's still. But I, I find it, and I've spoken to him about this before as well. Find it quite funny that everyone's got this kind of hard man image about him, which on the pitch is exactly right, Marv, isn't it? You you want him in your corner. If there's uh, if there's something kicking off, but actually he's very quiet and yeah, very mild mannered and a, a real gentle giant and uh, yeah. and and I love that that that's you know who he is behind the scenes and 
obviously with with the tough time that he's been through over the last two years as well um you can tell how loved he is from the outpouring of support that that he's had um and yeah he's he's just he legend gets bandied around far too easily in my opinion but 100 mm-hmm. nick harford is a is a legend 100 100 so um just to finish off um we always do like to just to kind of get a bit of an idea for people who want to get into journalism and kind of a bit of your path and so obviously kind of what you're doing right now um you kind of indicated a bit but also just a short kind of what you'd recommend a couple of kind of ideas you recommend for people who want to get into journalism okay so at the minute i'm working um for talk sport predominantly so i was um i was a reporter for soccer saturday which was i was such a privilege to to work on that show i absolutely loved it i worked at talk sport years ago and they asked me to cover the women's um, world cup for them in 2019 and then the pandemic happened and i'd started up my own women's football podcast and and show for for talk sport and the pandemic happened and they asked me to host a quiz with Darren Bent uh, on a Saturday night, which we did. We had such a laugh. Honestly, it was such good fun on a Saturday night. And then Project Restart happened. So I'd had to leave. Uh, Project Restart happened. And um, obviously there were no games. So there were no games at, at, for Soccer Saturday. And Talk Sports said, can you anchor our 5.30 game day coverage um, for the match? And I was like, well, it will mean that I have to leave Soccer Saturday. Spoke to my Soccer Saturday producer he went you would be an idiot if you didn't take that up um you better go so that's what I did and um I was lucky like this year has been incredible I had a, had a baby in October so my little boy Ted is seven months old congratulations and thank you very much <laughs> so I was six months pregnant during the Euros which was because I'm talk sports England correspondent on top of that and uh so yeah, Ted's been to Wembley loads of times, heard the national anthem, watched, you know, watched us in a major final like crazy. Uh, he has no idea, um, but I will be reminding him. But yeah, he, um, uh, it's been like such a crazy, crazy year. And then I came back from, I took three months off for, for maternity and loads of people got COVID and I ended up hosting the uh, Carabao Cup final at Wembley, which was like the like most amazing privilege. And of course, that was such a bonkers game for so many different reasons. So I had Andy Townsend, who I know well, because I used to work with him back in the day at Talk Sport, and Ali McCoist as well, who's just bloody brilliant, yeah. um, and hosted that, which was insane. That um, was, a tw- was that the 21-22 penalty kick? One was that the one I'm thinking of? That was yeah. the one. That was the yeah. one. Yep. Yeah, that was yep. the that was the uh, Kepa Aretha Balaga final, shall we call it? Um, but yeah, it was that that was pretty impressive, like for for me to to do that. And um, you know, as I say, I, I was called up because because of COVID. But um, yeah, what what an amazing opportunity that was. And mm. I'm going to be um, obviously working across the summer for the women's Euros and then going to Qatar for the World Cup. As England correspondent, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's been brilliant. Um, I love Talk Sport. I, 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 it's a station I've loved for for years, and it's changing and evolving and and getting you know it's brilliant working. There. Um, and then I do lots of voiceovers from this booth, which <laughs> is in my kitchen. Um, in terms of what I would suggest to get into this industry, so particularly if you want to work in sport, be prepared to give up your evenings and weekends. I've lost count of the amount of people who've said to me, yeah, I really want to be a sports reporter. I don't work Sundays. Okay. Yes. You kind of have to work Saturdays and Sundays. Yes. Um, it's not a good look. Um, I would say 
like like for example i just started off doing reports terrible reports by the way um on my mobile phone at the back of the main stand at kenilworth road um it doesn't matter where you go or what team you're going go to your local non-league team um whatever you need to do offer your services um say anything i can do can i write in the program can i help out um don't expect to be paid you know I, I, it sounds awful but it's a harsh reality unfortunately right at the beginning you're not going to get paid um i'm not saying that's right by the way i'm just saying that's that's the way it is but if you go somewhere and apply for a job and they can see that you got work experience and tried really hard to you know do what you can do then um they're going to take you on board for, for sure believe in yourself um that was a problem that i had in my early career i loved what you know i wanted to do but i didn't believe in myself and there weren't that many women working in football full stop mm. let alone working as journalists um and I let that hold me back for a very long time because I almost felt embarrassed and I didn't want people to judge me for saying, oh, actually, can I can I do that? Because it would be, why would you want to do that little girl kind of thing? Um, and, you know, maybe wrongly I had that impression. Maybe that impression wasn't actually there, but it was the experience that I'd had, definitely. Yeah. Um, come to people like me and ask for advice. Like, there's so many people who love this industry and feel so grateful to work in it. By the way, also never, ever take it for granted that you work in that can be taken away tomorrow. Um, there's so many people queuing up that want that want these jobs. So you've got to be good. You've got to keep wanting to do what you want to do. You've got to be passionate about it. You've got to love football. Um, that's the weirdest question I get asked. Oh, so do you actually like football? Like, oh my God, it'd be the worst job in the world if you didn't like football. I give up my weekends, everything. You know, <clears throat> oh my God, can you imagine? But unfortunately, Ray, I, I sorry to interrupt you there. I just want to go back to what you've just said there because I feel it's quite important that you said you didn't believe in yourself, but was it the then the the passion, the love of the football, what made you go into it and and stick at it? Maybe because, like I said you said you didn't believe in yourself and I'm thinking my gosh but you, and it again not being sexist not a lot of women were involved in, in that in that role so you must have had some real big passion to stick at it and um in that situation definitely I think resilience really important um I'm a bit stubborn at times I, I don't like being told no um and I like to prove people wrong I don't like being written off um I don't like being pigeonholed um, I wouldn't do it to someone else. So I don't see why I should have it done to me. Um, I don't see why doors should be closed either. Um, I've got a lot to give industry. You know, there's loads more I want to do in football outside of what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm studying an MBA in um, football industries at the moment. And, you know, I've got some really interesting work in the pipeline that I want to look into. And um, I don't feel like that door should be closed for me. I don't feel like I should pigeonhole as a, just a broadcaster um you know there's there's much more I can do so yeah I think I've got really good people around me and I'm really grateful for that my mum and dad never wanted me to give up they they kept saying you're good at this you're good at like keep going and believe me I, I very nearly quit on many occasions I really did but something always came up that made me change my mind and I I, I really do believe you like you need a little bit of luck along the way but I also, and I'm sorry for the cliche on this, I also believe you make your own luck with a lot of things. Yeah. And that's yeah. hard work. Um, and it is resilience. And it is 
you know, getting knockbacks and going, okay, yeah, I can see why, why you've said no to that, but hang on, let me show you what else I can do. Or let me show you that wasn't my best. Let me show you. Um, and that takes a little bit of, you know, deep soul searching sometimes. Um, but if it's something you love, like I say this to everybody and, and you'll both know this as well. If you do a job that you love, it's not a job. You're not working. Um, and it's why spend your entire life doing something you hate yeah. get it you're not here for that long yeah. <laughs> like, no. you know so but you know equally I know I'm in a very privileged position I never ever take it for granted and that's another thing I would say to, to anybody who wants to get in you know don't pull the ladder up just because you're in and you want to protect yourself you've got to bring other people in with you you've got to help them like I didn't have anybody to help me then um, and I'm part of women in football now. And, you know, I don't just help other girls and women, by the way, I help young lads as well. I've got, you know, young lads that talk sport come and ask me for advice and, you know, what, what can I do? What should I do? How should I do this? It's really important to help other people. Yes, they might take your job one day, but how proud will you be that they've come to you and asked you for advice? And then you're yeah. going, yeah, I helped them get here. Look how yeah. awesome they are. Yeah. You know, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, so, yeah, hopefully there's some tidbits in there. No, definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. A, a huge amount of your time. And I, we are so, so grateful, um, Faye. Um, it was fantastic to hear you. And that was Faye Crudders, My Best 11. 